You are listening to the Hustle and Muscle podcast with Kimmy and Kayla. Hustle and Muscle is part of the Thoughtbox podcast network. Thoughtbox provides listeners with a collection of quality podcasts across the Southeast. Join us every Monday for empowering episodes about life, faith, and how to truly become a lady boss. We hope you feel inspired. Hey guys, it's Kimmy and Kayla with Hustle and Muscle Podcast, and today we have Tiffany Hester on with us, who is a worship pastor at Coastal Virginia Church right here in the Hampton Roads. We're so glad that she is on with us, and um, we're going to go ahead and let her tell you a little bit about who she is and what she does. Hey, Tiffany, how are you? Hey, great. Thanks for having me. Go ahead and tell us just a little bit about yourself, your family, and uh, what you do here in the Hampton Roads. Okay. Uh, my name is Tiffany, and I am from Alabama. Roll Tide. Um, <laughs> I lived um, in Virginia for almost nine years now. My husband and I, like you said, we pastor Coastal Virginia Church. Um, we've been married for 15 years, and we have two little girls, uh, Carson, who's 11, and Dylan, who is six. Um, I am extremely passionate about worship and just um, having the opportunity to introduce people to the presence of Jesus and how that, you know, can change their lives. Um, let's see what else. I am a founder and president of the 127 Initiative, which is a local nonprofit who partners with local churches and communities and businesses to serve the foster care children and family in the area. Um, what else? I love to paint and I'm obsessed with arrows. There you go. <laughs> So tell us about how you fell in love with Jesus. So growing up, I came from a broken home. Uh, went through several um, divorces between parents and step-parents and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so coming from that, it kind of caused me to desire consistency um, somewhere, you know. And I just found that regardless of my life circumstance, Jesus and his love for me were always constant. And I actually discovered that at a really, really young age. I mean, I can remember growing up and having my mom drop me off at church to go to kids' church <laughs> because it meant that much to me. I literally was there every time the doors were open. Um, and I know you hear people say that, like, in the context of their parents dragging them there. But, like, I was there by choice because church and Jesus were my constant. And I'm so thankful to have discovered that at a young age because I feel like it kept me from a lot of trouble that people that, you know, come from my background face. And so, yeah, I'm glad. I want to start off here at the beginning, um, because if you've been following the news, you know what's going on right here in our home state, um, just a couple hours down the road in Charlottesville. So for our listeners, um, you know, we are based in Virginia. And so Charlottesville's not that far from home. And you talk about um, just the love of Jesus being constant and, and that being a constant in your life. And as a worship leader who who gets in front of a congregation every week and, and leads people to Jesus. Um, just tell us, you know, does your heart break for Charlottesville right now as, as someone who loves Jesus and knows Jesus's heart? Uh, just maybe talk a little bit about that. Oh man. Yeah, it absolutely breaks my heart. We, we actually took some time in service just this morning getting, you know, gut level honest. My husband said, not only am I tired of, the hate, but I'm tired of the people that are pretending that there's not a little bit of hate in their heart still mm -hmm. down deep. And I, uh, the bottom line is, is that church, the church and Christians as a whole have been silent for too long. Um, we sat back, um, and, you know, bit our tongues on the 
things that we shouldn't and then spoken out on the things that, uh, sorry, vice versa. We've bit our tongues when we should not and spoken out when we shouldn't. That still didn't make sense, but you know what I'm trying to say. I know what you're saying. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And so like, these are the opportunities when we should be taking a stance. These are the opportunities that we should be speaking love and promoting unity. Um, I just, love has a name and it's Jesus. And he can bridge every gap. He can build bridges over this ginormous hole that our country is facing. Yeah, so that's my next question for like the women who are listening and our listeners who are listening. What would you suggest for them to do? Um, I would say number one, obviously pray. Um, but I, yes, prayer can cover a lot of things, but I think that we're also called to action. Um, I think that we need to take a step back, um, and realize that things are not as they have always been. And that might require us to shift our perspective and be intentional about trying to see things through the eyes of others. Um, I don't think we do that enough. I think we get used to a certain culture and get used to a certain way of life and assume, um, that it's always going to be that way. And that's just not the case. I I think I have to intentionally um, take a step back and just because I'm not affected by something doesn't mean that other people aren't and vice versa. And so I, and I think it's not being afraid to start that conversation. You know, it's going up to people that may be a different race of me and say, Hey, I know things are crazy right now, but like, how can I pray for you? Cause I'm not about all this. (laughs) Um, Bringing it out in the open. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I know I grew up with a, with two siblings who are biracial. So that was always a conversation in our house about, um, you know, I, I'm white. I can only see things from my perspective as a human and my experiences, but just, just being able to listen, I think, gosh, would take us a long way. Yeah. And Um, listening to like, listen, not to form your response, you know? Exactly. Yes. Totally agree. Um, so share with us a little bit about what being a worship leader means to you. Uh, just, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there are weeks where you've had a hard week and it's been a rough week and then you've got to get up there and lead these people in worship. Just how does, how does that feel? What does that look like from week to week? And yeah, I think it's so funny that we're having this conversation today. Uh, <laughs> I'm so thankful for his grace because sometimes it is, it's hard for me as a leader to do that. And I felt that struggle this morning. Like I had to check myself because I was allowing myself to see this morning through the lens of the crap that I dealt with this week. Um, and so I have found that there's, there's just nothing like a pure heart in worship, like being willing to pursue the presence of Jesus and taking others with you as a leader. Um, a heart that kind of pushes past the mess and is willing to come undone and be put back together by the one who knows us best. Uh, that's the good stuff. I think a big part of our struggle comes from us trying to do it all and us trying to do what we think is best. And I think there's something about that moment in worship where you can come before him just as you are and come undone and allow him to put the pieces back together. Um, yeah, that's uh, just, that was me today. <laughs> so now you, you shared earlier that you, um, you are a president of a nonprofit, but you also are a foster mom, correct? I am. So which one happened first? Uh, <laughs> they were somewhat simultaneous. Um, you know, as we got started out um, on the personal side, you know, embracing the foster care journey, I, I just 
kept hearing the Lord say there's more. This is for more than just your family. And as we kind of got plugged in there, we started to see so many needs that were unmet within the system. And I there was just a quick passion lit within me to figure out what I could do to make a difference in that. So we did. <laughs> cool. Well, tell us about being a foster mom. Weren't you just on vacation and something exciting happened? As well? <laughs> oh my word. Yes. Um, being a foster mom is like every single emotion you could feel probably all in one day. <laughs> um, on some days we were, so we were on a, we currently have a four-month-old little girl, Ellie, and we had been on standby for a newborn boy because we had a family connection there because his older brother had been placed in our home before for a couple weeks just as a respite care thing, and, you know, we found out mom was pregnant again, um, so we were on standby, and I thought, surely we'll at least get through the beach portion of our vacation <laughs> in Florida. But wouldn't, you know, like the day I got to the beach, I got the call that she had gone into labor, the baby was born. And I thought, okay, well, you know, given her history, he may have to stay there for a little while. So I'm going to go out to the beach. Y'all keep me posted. Because um, typically with a kid with his circumstances, they stay, you know, six to seven days. Um well, they called me that afternoon and they were like, he's good to go. We need you here tomorrow. <laughs> so, you know, blessing and a curse. I'm so thankful that he's healthier than expected, but that meant I had to book a flight that day and get home. So yeah. I got home at 1.30 in the morning and was at the hospital at 10 o'clock the next day to pick him up. <laughs> so yeah. tell us a little bit about your nonprofit, which is um, called 127 Initiative. And yeah. how did that come about? What, what was the vision um, that you had when you started this? So like I said earlier, um, early on in our foster certification process, you know, I just felt like God was saying there's more for you to do. Um, that this journey was not just for my family and my family dynamic. So her eyes were really open to how many unmet needs they had from social workers to supplies to um, foster parents, kids, all of it. And so I knew that we could do more and I assessed what the greatest needs were and decided to make a plan to meet them. And the 127 initiative was born. Um, the name comes from James 127. It's a biblical mandate and most translations say to care for widows and orphans, but the translation that we prefer um, says when widows and children without parents are in trouble, help them. We prefer this translation because, I, I mean, I just feel like orphan speaks to an identity and children without parents speaks to circumstance. And well, we want to be a part of changing that circumstance. Um, it's been exciting. Um, I am a type A person. I'm a planner. Like I need to know how something's going to pan out. So it was kind of a big deal for me to step out, like really not having a clue, but I just love the faithfulness of God because every time I would take one step, he would provide the next five. Like I could tell you story after story. And I just love that he knows my heart and cares enough to say, all right, you take that step of obedience and I'm going to carry you through this. Um, it's been really cool. You venture out and to do things like this and you, you always hope that it's not just some great idea that you've spun up, but that it's something that'll really make a difference. And I can honestly say that this has made a difference and I'm just humbled to be a part of it. Wow. Do you ever feel like you're heading into battle? Um, yes, I, um, I, I do, <laughs> uh, but sometimes more than, than battle, it's almost just like saying, Hey, do you know what's going on around you? You know what I mean? It's not always about, um, fighting as much as it is enlightening. Um, 
there are over 800 kids in care in the coastal Virginia or Hampton Roads area. Um, and most people are ignorant to what's in their own backyard. Or if they do know, they don't know how to help. So sometimes it's more about saying, hey, this is a problem and this is how you can help. Um, yeah, you'd be surprised at how many people, it's not that they're not on board, it's just that they don't know. They're just ignorant to it, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So how big is your organization now? Like as far as, I guess, how long have you been around and um, – I was, I was snooping on the, on the website <laughs> earlier this week, just, just wanting to educate myself on it. And, um, yeah. it's just, you know, do you deal a lot with the city? Um, are you based, I guess, do you work with one city more than another? Just maybe a little bit more about who you're working with. We started with Norfolk, um, because that's where we were training. You know, we chose Norfolk as our the place where we, the city that we wanted to foster in, because one, it's one of the cities with the greatest needs. And two, at our church, we always talk about serving our city. And with our church being based in Norfolk, that is why, you know, we chose to walk that road. And so initially we launched in Norfolk. Um, and so, yeah, I have a heavier presence there just because I've been there longer. Mm-hmm. But it has been super cool because now we're like actually gaining some, um, community recognition and I've had several other agencies contact me and say hey we don't have anybody doing for us what you're doing for these other agencies how do we get involved and so we are now in um we are in Norfolk and we were in a are in a couple of private agencies we're with the up center and we're with first families of Virginia and we are on the brink of um launching into Newport News so um, it's been super cool (laughs) God has got his hand all over that. <laughs> yeah, and, and on it, like, we just started in October, and I just, I, I cannot even, like, I have to take a step back and just go, how did this happen? And I know that it's because of God and because of our willingness to be obedient. I think he takes that and he just expands it, you know, to something bigger than we ever thought. I would love to be in all seven cities. And sadly enough, there are some cities that need the help the most, but they're so inundated that they're not even in a place where they can receive the help. So, um, anyway, my prayer is that we'll be in all seven cities before this is all over. Isle of Wight recently contacted us as well. So we're branching out. (laughs) So what would you say your biggest obstacle has been with starting up a nonprofit? Um, So it actually kind of piggybacks on what we were just saying. Um, I would say initially it was gaining presence in the community. Like, I think there's a lot of people doing some really cool things, you know, to make a difference, but we've tried to be really intentional with streamlining our stuff and making it identical in every area that we launch because I just feel like there's some brand recognition and not that we care about anybody knowing who we are or recognizing us as an organization, but more about knowing um, who they can call on when they need something or who they can reach out to when they need a service or an event planned for them or because one of our main couple so I'll just tell you quickly, the three main things we do as an organization is one, we raise awareness for the needs for foster families and respite families. Um, two, we, we serve the agencies. Um, and that's anything from doing appreciation lunches for all the social workers back in February. Oh, this was so cool. We did a uh, appreciation lunch, but they all thought they were coming into like mandatory training. So they walked into the room and we had like music bumping and we were clapping and cheering and it was just a fun time. Chick-fil-A catered and we did some drawings and giveaways and um, the director uh, of 
the whole thing in Norfolk came to me afterwards and said, you just don't know the difference that you're making just in something as simple as today. Because if you look at the fiscal budget, there is not a line for employee appreciation. And this is such a thankless job that if there weren't people like you guys doing what you're doing, it wouldn't be done. Um, so that's been really neat. Just, you know, having the opportunity to love on these workers because they give so much. Um, and then also something that's constantly going on through as far as serving the agency is our bags of hope. Um, a lot of kids, when they come into care, they sometimes they're picked up straight from school um, or if they're taken from their home, it's super quick and traumatic. And so they come with nothing or if they have anything, it's just thrown in a trash bag. And I, there's just such an injustice to me. No kids should travel through the system in a trash bag. And so we have created these um, age-specific, gender-specific duffel bags that have like pajamas and socks and underwear and toiletries and a comfort item such as like if it's a child or it might be a blanket or a stuffed animal or a book or the teenagers will have a water bottle or a journal. And, and that's just something where in the moment of uncertainty where they have no idea what's next, um, something is placed in their hands that is certain, that is theirs. Um, specific to, you know, who they are. And each one of these bags were prayed over on the night that we um, assembled them. And I just, um, that's been really, really cool to hear stories that have come out of that, uh, you know, from the social workers and such. So there's that. And then the final thing that we do is we have community events uh, to build community for the foster families. And so we always host a big Christmas event where we provide gifts and we've done a tides game and, you know, just things throughout the year because these families are on the same road in life and face a lot of the same troubles that no one else really understands. And so I think it's important for us to provide opportunity for them to come together. So yeah, that's the gist of what we do. So um okay what what were we talking about the biggest obstacle yes, yes. <laughs> the biggest obstacle like i said was initially gaining you know presence in the community um yeah. just like i said a lot of people are doing a lot of great things um so it's been really um humbling to see god promote this in the way that he has um that was a even though that was an initial problem i would say it was a problem that was short-lived and so i'm very thankful yeah. So what would you say is your, um, your greatest reward from all of this? Oh my word. I, I don't even know. I, <laughs> I just, when, every time I walk into the agency, I, I think the bags of hope have been a big, um, thing. I, the last, last week I walked in and they said that a seven-year-old girl had just come into care and they gave her her bag and she went straight to the bathroom and changed into all of her new clothes and, and was grasping that bag. Like it was, you know, all she had. And I hear stuff like that. And I'm like, these are not just cool little duffel bags. Like they are truly providing hope in a moment when it's needed the most. So um, hearing those kinds of stories and the effect and the impact that they've made is really cool. Another, another, reward I would say is being able to see people get behind a cause that I believe in. And I know that might sound silly, but like people that had no idea about the system and no idea um, about their needs and what goes on that are now like super passionate and on fire to like make a difference. Like that is cool. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. So I wanted to touch back on the bags of hope um, just because that is something that I learned about, not necessarily the bags of hope, but just the fact that, you know, when, when kids come through that they literally have nothing. And I 
learned that just earlier in the year and that it's just mind blowing to me. Mm-hmm. So I think that's amazing that you guys are able to hand them something that is a tangible hope that they can, yeah. Yeah. um, you know, that can bring joy to them right. in a moment that is not very joyous. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. And they keep them in the trunks of the social workers and they keep them in a closet at the agency so that they always have a variety on hand. Um, so they're ready because we all know foster care is really unpredictable. And so <laughs> you yeah. gotta be prepared. So it's cool. So um, when do you guys, um, now, do you have like packing events where you pack these bags or how does that work? We do. We, you know, obviously this being our first full calendar year, but um, we had one in the spring and I would like to have another one in the fall. We've not yet set a date for that, but okay. um, we do like a big uh, donation drive for all the items. We, you know, uh, get out lists of what goes in each bag and mm-hmm. people come that night. We stuffed 160 bags um, the first night that we did that. Um, and so that was amazing. So yeah, the, the thing about the bags of hope is like, there's net, unfortunately there's always kids coming in. So there's never not going to be a need for them. So right. it's something we constantly have to keep up on top right. of. Now, can, how can we contribute to this? Like, do you guys, um, I guess, do you accept donations? How, how does that work? Yeah, we accept, um, donations for the items. Um, you can find the, the list on the website for what goes okay. in each bag. Um, and then if people were interested in a monetary donation, um, uh, checks can be made to 127 Inc. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um, so you wear a lot of hats. <laughs> you're a mom, you're a foster mom, you are a worship pastor, a wife, and running this nonprofit. How do you do it all? Like, that's what Kimmy and I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it makes you feel any better, I honestly ask myself this, like, on the daily. <laughs> um, it's really, I, I think the key is about being self-aware and maintaining balance and there's definitely been seasons that I have not been great at that, but I'm learning. And thankfully I have a super supportive and understanding husband who will say in those seasons, sometimes he'll say, Hey, it's okay. I got this. I know what you're doing is important, but he also loves me enough to sometimes say, Hey, you need to take a minute. Like you're doing too much, you know? And I think that it's so important to have somebody in your life that's willing to do that. Um, and so yeah, I don't, I, I don't have it all together. I just do <laughs> what I know I'm supposed to do and hope that my community around me and that the Lord will carry me through. <laughs> well, I think that you're doing amazing. I've always been inspired by you. So and uh, I'd love to see how your family has just kind of bonded around the babies. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Like how the girls and your husband have been to introducing new people to the family? I, um, I wondered how that would be, especially for Dylan, who is my, um, six-year-old. Who um, I adore. He is awesome. So I'll just tell you a little bit about my kids. They're my world, but they're also crazy. Um, <laughs> Carson Blair is my 11-year-old. Um, it's crazy to see how much she's grown. She, she has such a heart for others and that makes this mama's heart proud. Um, she's the kid that is looking for lonely people. Um, we have a family motto every morning before school, before we get out of the car, we 
either myself or my husband, whoever's with them says, we're Hester's. What does that mean? And, and the girls say, we are kind, encouraging, and we look for lonely people. And I can honestly say that Carson embodies that. Um, now Dylan or those who are close to her pickles, um, (laughs) she's a spitfire. She's tough and she's funny and unpredictable. Um, she's a leader and her story is for another day, but according to the doctor, she shouldn't even be here. So I have to remind my husband that she had to be a fighter from day one and we just need to channel that tenacity (laughs) because she's going to be a great leader and she's going to do great things. Um, but as far as their dynamic, I have been so impressed. Um, like I said, with Dylan being the baby and she's been the baby for six years, almost seven years, I wasn't sure how she would adapt, but I have seen her take such ownership of these little babies, you know, that come in and and my older daughter as well. People ask me all the time, how in the world do you do two infants? And I always say, because the four month old is a wonderful baby. And because the 11 year old gets it done. (laughs) She's so helpful. And you know, this will, we've had the babe, the, the four month old from the hospital as well. And, you know, she it's nearing the time that she's going to go to her grandma, probably at the end of October. And so, you know, it, nobody sees or really talks about those dark days. It's like, I'm kind of just now allowing myself to feel the emotions that come with her leaving. I've been able to keep them at bay. Um, and it's hard. And I mean, I've even seen Carson tearful. And so that part of it's hard, but it's also something that we would never change because we were there for these kids in the season that they needed us the most. And we kind of all talked as a family. We were like going into this, we can be guarded and we can hold back um, and try to preserve our feelings or we can go all in and love them with all we have, knowing it's going to hurt when they go, but knowing that it's worth it because they need that. And so that's kind of the approach we take, you know, ask me at the end of October how we're all doing and it probably won't be awesome, but today we're still loving them. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think I um, I have another good friend who is heavily involved in uh, foster care, and she always says, um, you know, it's not about our hurt. It's about loving these kids, mm-hmm. and, like, we have to, you know, kind of put that aside, put our feelings aside because they need us. Yeah, and that's so. kind of how God got my attention on all this because I've always had a burden for foster care because I have such a heart for the fatherless. Um, but I just never thought that I could do it. I always felt like it would be too hard, you know, to love them and and let them go. And that's what everybody says. You know, when you talk to the people about this and they ask questions, you know, how do you do it? It would be too hard. But as I was arguing with, you know, God over this one day (laughs) before I finally surrendered, um, he just, I clearly heard him say like, why is your pain more important than their need for love? And I mean, that'll wake you up, you know? Um, and I just, and he, you know, continued, I just continued to feel like, you know, he was saying like the fact that you're going to hurt when they go is what qualifies you even more for this because it means you're loving them well. And that's what they need. So that's so good. So Kimmy here, I actually met you (laughs) through Stonebridge Uh and I just always, I've always loved your kids. You have great, amazing kids. And um, you are right. Your kids are the type that look for the lonely. We actually came and um, listened to our friends speak at your church. And my oldest was really nervous about coming back to the kid area because he didn't know anyone. Mm -hmm. And he had shared with me how he was nervous. And 
I said, you know, buddy, I'm nervous too, but it's okay because we're going to support our friend. And you know what? Uh, we're where Jesus is and Jesus isn't going to let us feel lonely. And we walked around the corner and there was Dylan with a big old <laughs> smile. And um, she said, hey, Jude. And he looked at her and she's like, Mrs. Wood, is that you? And I said, it's, it's me. And then the next thing I know, she had... Um, taken Jude and my middle son Silas and they had put tape over their noses and they were running around <laughs> having the time of their life and um Jude was like are we gonna are we gonna be together next year and she said no my mommy's gonna teach me next year and so for a second I was heartbroken <laughs> that I won't get to see you in the carpool lane but I'm excited and I was curious I know I'm putting you on the spot because I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this and I said okay. I wouldn't put you on the spot but we've put you on the spot <laughs> you know can what you share with us <laughs> so will you share with us like that journey that you guys are about to go on yes so we have decided to homeschool and it's funny because just six months ago like if you had asked me I would have said, heck no, I am never doing that. <laughs> and my, my, my husband kind of has always had the same mentality. And it's not that I don't think homeschooling can't be great. I've just always thought it's not for me. You know, like, I no, no. But it's funny because we sat down um, last spring, my husband and I, on a, we had our date days on Monday. And it was almost at the same exact time, like we just word vomited homeschool on each other. <laughs> and so the fact that um, it had come uh, to both of us at the same time, and it was something that both of us had never, ever thought that we would ever do, it definitely caught our attention. And we just really felt like the Holy Spirit was trying to get our attention on behalf of our kids and you know, uh, it's not that Stonebridge is not a great place. I just think it's not the right fit for our family right now. We want to have time to um, get our kids immersed, you know, more in, in ministry and in things that they're passionate about. And we feel like this will give us the freedom uh, to do that. And I, I actually went to school for elementary education. So if it was somebody else's kid, I would feel totally equipped. But like, it's a lot of pressure when it's your kids and you want them to succeed. <laughs> so, um, you know, I questioned at the end of the year last year on the last day of school, I looked around cause you know, Stonebridge has such a wonderful community and I thought, am I doing the right thing? You know? And we came home that day and my oldest Carson ran up to me on three different occasions and just squeezed me really tight and said, I'm so excited. And every time I would say about what? And every time she would say that I get to be with you next year. And I thought, what more am I looking for, for confirmation? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We just know that this is the right um, journey for our family right now. Who knows if it'll be a year, who knows if it'll be forever. But um, again, it's one of those obedience things. And um, I think it's going to be really good. Well, I am so excited. I might um, text you during carpool. Maybe I'll <laughs> message you so that you don't feel too left out. Yeah. <laughs> I know how much we all love carpool. Yeah, moms unite. <laughs> so we always do this segment at the end of our podcast. Um, so as you know, the title of the podcast is Hustle and Muscle. And Kimmy and I, you know, we just think that hustle can take on a whole lot of different meanings as moms and as women and as business owners. So we love to hear from our guests that come on what their hustle moment is. And that could be anything from, you know, taking a shower to 
keep reading. You know, and I'm sure you have had many hustle moments just today, getting up on stage and leading worship. So, um, what what's been a hustle moment that you had this week where you were just like, man, I killed it. <laughs> no, I was rocking it. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I'm trying. Um, so as I kind of you know mentioned earlier, this honestly has been a terrible terrible week. <laughs> um, I mean, from getting rear-ended to, um, crazy stressful and emotional, um, family team meetings for the new baby that we have, you know, it's just a really sad circumstance that surrounds him and, um, yeah. stuff going on at church. I mean, it's just been one of those weeks and I came home the other night and my whole closet had fallen down all the racks like completely fallen down. And I thought, are you freaking kidding me? Like what else? <laughs> so, like part of this. So my hustle moment, part of it was me hustling. And part of it was honestly the Lord hustling on my behalf. I called my husband and I was so overwhelmed and I was crying and I was like, I just can't take anymore. See, I told you, I don't have it all together. Um, <laughs> I was like, I, I just, I said, I almost feel like if I could pick one tangible thing, to feel like I'm gaining ground on it would, I could do this. It like, so I need to get this house in order. I need it clean. Um, but I might need help. Like it's a lot right now with the closet and with everything else. And I hung up the phone and a friend texted me and said, Hey, how can I help you? How would you feel about me coming over and cleaning your house for you? And oh, I, was like, my goodness. I was like, are you kidding me? And I <laughs> posted about the craziness. Come to find out she didn't even see the posts. Like she just, it was honestly the Lord hustling for me. And so she got in here and we hustled. We cleaned out my refrigerator and my pantry and we put my closet back together and we got it done. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is a great testament to women in general because we so many times don't want to accept that help. Oh, so yeah. I think it's amazing that you were like, you know what, just come on over. <laughs> yeah. And on, and I, under most circumstances, I wouldn't, because that's what I told Brandon. I know what I need help, but I don't know how to ask or who to ask. And so when she offered unsolicited help, I was like, okay, I can't ignore this. I don't care if you judge my mess. You're coming to help me and appreciate it. <laughs> exactly. That's an amazing hustle moment. Yeah. <laughs> oh Lord. It's something. <laughs> well, we are so happy that you decided to come on and talk with us about everything that you have going on in your life. Um, it's been incredible hearing your story and just your heart for Jesus. And thank you so much for sharing with us. Yeah. Thank you for um, having me and, and just allowing me to, to be real. I think sometimes with stuff like this, people try to put their best foot forward. And uh, I, I just, I'm willing to be vulnerable if it creates space for community, like genuine community. And so thank you for having a platform for that. I think it's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, we are definitely going to have you on again. Yeah. Okay. Um, I just feel like you are going to really just empower and encourage a lot of the women who are listening right now. Mm -hmm. And we are going to plug, um, your 127 initiative page mm -hmm. because I know that there are people who are listening who are going to want to jump right in and help you especially like with packing the bags and yeah. bringing um, supplies and stuff so uh, don't go too far because we <laughs> want to keep in touch with you and we want to interview you as much as possible awesome thank you so yeah. we just we love you and we are so excited that we've gotten to talk with you and we know that this next week is going to be amazing. It's going to be so good. <laughs>
Yes. All right. Well, thank you again. And it was great talking. And like Kimmy said, we will definitely talk again. Awesome. You guys have a great night. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to Hustle and Muscle podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode. You can find Hustle and Muscle and the Thoughtbox Podcast Network on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash hustle and muscle podcast and facebook.com forward slash thoughtbox pod. Make sure to never miss an episode by subscribing on iTunes or SoundCloud. We appreciate your support.